Happy New Year to you. It is the 6th of January 2012 and you are listening to Ask a Vegan. I'm smiling because I say a very happy new year and it certainly is a new year, but we have to keep in mind that calendars are all made up and this is just a shared beginning for a very large community. So you can use it any way you choose, but just know that Life goes on without calendars. The sun comes up and it goes down and the seasons change. But it's really up to you to interpret your own life and do what makes you feel good and feel good about yourself. But it's kind of fun to have New Year's and to make resolutions and come up with little promises with ourselves. And then as the years go by, we can evaluate how well we've done. Sometimes making resolutions are not the best thing because when another year rolls by and you realize you haven't kept any of the ones you made the year before, it can be a bit disappointing. The thing is you want to make changes when you're ready to make changes, not when a calendar tells you to. So are you ready to make changes? Are there changes that you want to make? For myself, I'm constantly reevaluating on a regular basis, daily basis almost, maybe even a minute basis. It's like, what should I be doing now? So I haven't made any resolutions. Oh, okay. I've been off for a couple of weeks. A lot's been going on. And let's talk about a few of those things. So the FTC came out with a report on the 21st of 2012. It's a follow-up study detailing promotional activities, expenditures, and nutritional profiles of food marketed to children and adolescents. And I wish I had some good news to share, but um, overall the... There's a a press release that kind of summarizes the report, and I'll give you a few of the highlights. Uh, There's been about $1.79 billion that have been allocated for marketing to youth in 2009. Those are 2009 numbers, and that spending was down almost 20% from 2006, so you'd want to say that that's pretty good. Most of that decrease came from less spending on television ads. But what did happen is there was a 50% increase in marketing to children and teens in new media, online, mobile, and viral marketing, which is probably a lot less expensive and perhaps has a much broader reach. And if you look at this press release and see what's changed since 2006... Ah, it makes me just want to go back to turn it all off, shut it all down, and just do personally what I believe is right. Um, The total marketing 
dropped from 2.1 billion in 2006 to 1.79 billion in 2009, a 19.5% drop adjusted for inflation. Okay, we talked about what the change was in that advertising, and uh, there has been a slight change in cereals. There's less sugar, a 0.9 gram decrease. There's a little more whole grain, a 1.6 gram or one-tenth of a serving. It's interesting, too, because that whole whole grain concept, when people are buying boxes of cereal and it says whole grain in it, my recommendation is don't buy cereal in a box. Buy the whole grain and make the whole grain. That means making oatmeal, making brown rice, making millet, making quinoa, and serving it like a cereal. It tastes better. It's more satisfying. It's less expensive. And then you don't have to worry about percentage whole grain because you know that what you're eating is 100% whole grain. But unfortunately, that's not most of the United States. And many people rely on what the government is doing in order to guarantee that we're getting healthy food. Or maybe most people don't think about it. I don't really know. They just see the labels, the marketed labels, natural, more whole grain, all kinds of colorful big print, and they think that what they're buying is healthy. I suppose that's why it's important the FTC puts out these reports. But uh, change is slow. Drinks marketed to children and teens were slightly lower in calories in 2009 than in 2006, but still averaged more than 20 grams of added sugar per serving. 20 grams of added sugar per serving. That's why on this program, Ask a Vegan, we talk about drinking water. <laughs> Maybe water flavored with a little fruit juice, but please... 20 grams of added sugar per serving in beverages. Okay, America, that's why we look the way we do. And water and 100% juice continued to make only a small percentage of drinks marketed to children and teens in 2009. Very nice. <clears throat> Quick-serve restaurants also are included in this report, and the FTC found that quick-serve restaurant food or fast food marketed to both children and teens was lower in calories, sodium, sugar, and saturated fat in 2009 than in 2006. doesn't say, though, in this quick press release by how much, but it's lower. Oh, that's good news. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, joy. I think... Um, we know that the best thing to do is not to drink or buy sugary beverages or to dine at quick-serve restaurants. But how do we get that information out to the rest of America? Because basically, all I care about personally is eliminating pain and suffering. I don't want people getting sick. I don't want children getting sick. I don't want children get, feeling bad about themselves or their image. How do we change that? I'm going to get to that in a little bit. What's next on my list is the FDA. So it's all about government right now, right? We had an election a few months ago, and <clears throat> Obama is still in office. And because it's his second term and he doesn't have to worry about a re-election, some of us are expecting 
a little more intensity in the government. And we're starting to see some interesting things happen. So Obama signed into law on January 4th, 2011, the FDA Food Safety Modernization Act. The acronym is FSMA. FSMA. Who thinks of these things? Food Safety Modernization Act, the most sweeping reform of our food safety laws in more than 70 years. Okay, so two years ago it was signed into law. It was aimed to ensure the U.S. food supply is safe by shifting the focus from responding to contamination to preventing it. That sounds smart. I'm all about preventing. I'm all about um, what my the phrase my dad has been saying for a long time, if you can't solve the problem, eliminate the problem. And that means prevention, eliminating the problem. And um, finally, two years later, we now have um, in the Federal Register a good current good manufacturing practice and hazard analysis and risk-based prevention, preventive controls for human food. And this is an unpublished proposed rule by the FDA, and uh, I will provide a link for it if you'd like to look at it. I recommend that you do. It's only, it's only uh, 680 pages. <laughs> uh, I mention it because, well, it's related to food, of course, but um, the New York Times, a publication I like to read regularly, published an article on January 4th, two years after that uh, FISMA was, the act itself was voted at, into law by Obama. And they're talking about now the FDA offers broad new rules to fight food contamination. And it's a short article. I was rather disappointed with what the article talks about. It's rather vague and i think it's vague because they're talking about something that is 680 pages. Who wants to read with a fine-tooth comb 680 pages? So now what's going to happen most likely is you're going to hear on blogs and read in articles people's watered-down interpretation of these 680 pages if they even read the 680 pages before they report on it, I want to tell you that I have not read it. I will read it. I just found it this morning because I read the article in the New York Times. Now, I'm glad the New York Times reported on it. Um, but, you know, we rely on our media to give us information. When I read something that's interesting, I always, always go to the original source. And that led me to the 680. 80-page proposed legislation, and um, it's really overwhelming, and it's not easy to read. I found the comments on the New York Times article more interesting than the article itself. Uh, it's nice to know that there are some really savvy readers of the New York Times, but I was uh, rather disappointed that the, the journalist actually did not have some really eye-opening information. Okay, so uh, what they talk about in the New York Times article is that there's a couple of rules that have been proposed to prevent contamination of produce and processed food. 
And um, they basically suggest that it would be things like farm workers washing their hands, installing portable toilets in fields, and ensuring that foods are cooked at high temperatures to kill bacteria. And the implication is that this is going to cost a lot of money. And is it money well spent? The thing that I am very frustrated about because nobody wants to talk about it. It's the big elephant in the room, or should I say the big cow or the big pig in the room. But these problems are caused clearly by the demand for cheap meat, the demand for meat, factory farming of food. When we have these CAFOs, these confined animal feed places where we're raising animals for food. It's filthy. We have unregulated manure mountains, which are filled with unhealthy bacteria. They really get out of control. They leach into our water supply. They make everything filthy. And the manure and the water then infect our produce. And it's really not the produce's fault. The fault starts with factory farming. And this is where the regulations really need to be focused, and they're not. So I promise you, I will be reading this 680 pages, and uh, perhaps by next week I will have some more comments on it. But it's a lot to digest. I know that this happens all the time. In business, all over the place, you hire someone to do a job. And when the person seems competent, then you can almost forget about that work because you know somebody is doing it well. And we feel this way about the government. We feel that we hire people, we elect people to do specific jobs, and we expect them to do the job. But we know that's not happening. We know that's not true. And... Um, Sometimes it's just easier to ignore everything that's going on and just hope for the best. Um, I don't want to ignore. I want to make informed choices. But it really is overwhelming to oversee the government. We, we really can't do it as individuals. We need help. We need organizations. We need bigger voices. But... We do what we can. So I'm going to give this 680-page thing a read, and I will definitely get back to you on that. Okay, let's see what's next on my little list here. Oh, some of the comments that were on the New York Times article, I, I appreciated them. A lot of people were calling and were calling back the name of Upton Sinclair, and uh, maybe you remember... Uh, the book that he wrote that talked about food manufacturing back in the early 1900s um, where he talked about the meat industry back then. It's a really, really sad book. And it's about the struggle that many immigrants had working in the meat factories, the slaughterhouses, and how dirty it was and how their lives were so horrible. It's a really, really, really depressing book. 
and um, a lot of laws were changed or created as a result of this book and the outcry that came afterwards. Uh, so people were mentioning this author for the work that he did. Actually, I don't think it was his intent to have the laws change. I'm not exactly sure what his intent was when he wrote these, what he did. But um, it certainly changed a lot of things in the world, and we need a lot more outcry, a lot more outcry now, and a lot more change. The thing is, we we need to know that the water that's growing our produce is clean, and that the manure that is nourishing our produce doesn't have harmful bacteria that is going to increase and stay on the resulting produce. And personally, I don't think this will change by good handling practices or by farmers washing their hands. This is going to change by eliminating factory farms. So I'm starting 2013 with my same plea as I do all the time. What I want for this year is to see the end of factory farming. How I know that won't happen. But I can say it. Another comment on this New York Times article came from somebody that was saying what we really need to do is get rid of Monsanto and genetically modified food. And that brings up another article I wanted to talk about that came up very recently, which is genetically monetized food. There was an article in Slate on December 20th talking about if the food movement really wants to improve the food supply, it needs to follow the money instead of wasting its time on labels. And this is an article that obviously came out after the um, vote in California that talked about getting rid of genetically modified food. But he's doing a play on words here, genetically monetized food. And basically in the article it talks about how we shouldn't be focusing on whether GMOs are healthy or not. We should be talking about the patents, the control of our food supply by a few. And genetically modified foods do that because the companies that create these foods... Um, are getting control of our supply by patenting the seeds. And when they patent the seeds, it has all kinds of repercussions. And these are things that we can actually that we can actually report on, that we can actually find data on. It's really hard to find information on the health impacts of genetically modified food because nobody's really done the studies. And we can only come up with suspect things that we think may be a problem, but we're not sure. But what we but what we do have obvious information on is the impact on small farmers, the impact of farmers all around the world who have literally gone out of business because they can't afford to buy the seeds 
for the following year because you're not allowed to save genetically modified seeds when you're growing genetically modified foods. And so many, hundreds of thousands, have committed suicide as a result. So this is an interesting article talking about the damage done because of the control required in genetically modified food, the control of our food supply, and that this is something tangible and something obvious and something we should all be focusing on. Okay. Now, there are many things that I'm disappointed in when I read articles about food and food safety and food supply and genetically modified food and things that are being approved that I personally don't think should be approved and things that are not healthy for us and things that might damage the environment. It's all very frustrating. So where do we go with this information and how can we personally be inspired to go forward and do good work? Uh, a colleague of mine recently sent me a link to an article that just posted. It's called Dark Ecology, Searching for Truth in a Post-Green World by Paul Kingsnorth. And uh, it's another long article, maybe not 680 pages, but it's uh, not a quickie. takes a few minutes to read it, maybe even a half hour to digest. Um, but it's a very good article. I'm not going to say that I agree with everything in it, um, he does talk about Theodore Kaczynski, the Unabomber, and some of the things that drove Kaczynski to do some of the things that he did, which was frustration related to technological progress. And uh, in this article, the author talks about tools and how tools have improved ever since we became hunter-gatherers to the point where when we were hunter-gatherers and we learned how to hunt efficiently, we actually created a bigger problem because as we started from being gatherers, or at least as when we started to be before hunter-gatherers, <laughs> before being hunter-gatherers, we were food scavengers and then we became hunter-gatherers, and our tools that we created enabled us to hunt so well that the animal supply was reduced as our population increased because there was more food. And then we needed to create something else, and that's where agriculture came along, where we learned how to raise animals, and we learned how to grow food, and that enabled more people to be born and fed. All the while... As the population has increased, it has never eliminated starvation and hunger because there's always power, there's always hierarchy, there's always a problem with food distribution. But as we improve our technology and improve our tools, we're able to create more. But at the same time, we are doing damage to the environment and we're not eliminating the problems that have existed all along. And, and also, um, 
this article talks about how modern technological civilization is going to collapse because we cannot sustain what we have created. And uh, the author really uses some strong language. It's a little bit insulting to the environmentalists that are out there. Um, I think some of the things that he says are rather important because there are many people out there that consider themselves environmentalists and I personally don't think they're walking the walk. So when they're talking about all kinds of things that we can do to improve our agriculture and make it sustainable, they still want to raise animals and they still want us to consume, 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 just do it sustainably. And I don't know if that's possible. The author of this article really hits some buttons and brings out the hypocrisy in many people in what they're doing. But the um, the article ends and it's it's not entirely inspiring, but here's what I got out of it. The point is, if you don't like what's going on, the best that you can do is be the change you want to be in your own life. Be the change in your own life. You can only control your own life. He was basically saying, if you want to save the world, forget about it. You can't. It will go on doing all the things that it's been doing for ages with or without you. The only thing that you can really have an impact on is your own life. Now, if you are able to share information like I'm doing here and have an effect on someone else and make them happier or improve their health, improve their life and have them share it with their family. That's a great thing, but you shouldn't have that expectation. That's a bonus. You can only control your own life and that affects so many things, not just what you eat, but what goes on in relationships with everyone else. You can't control the reaction you get from anyone. You can only control your own reaction. So the message that I'm sharing here today is uh, is simply that. We can only control ourselves and I believe that we will feel best if we're doing what feels right, if we're doing what feels true to ourselves. And so what I do is I feed myself with the best quality food I can find because I know that it helps me feel better. I like feeling physically good. I enjoy life. I want to live a long time feeling physically good. And I also don't want to have the knowledge that I'm buying products that are causing pain and suffering and harm to other people. That said, um, I also don't want to keep my head in the sand because I could buy things and say, well, I didn't know that the damage was being occurred and I was supporting something that didn't fit what I believed in, but I didn't know that it did. Well, once you know something, uh, personally, I think you have to kind of incorporate it into how you live.
but that's me. And we can only control our own selves. That's the message. So be inspired to be the best that you can. And be happy with that. The last thing I wanted to talk about today, excuse me, <clears throat> hmm. you've heard of old wives' tales. I want to change that expression. I want to call it old doctor's tales. There are so many things that people have heard their doctors say, and they're myths. I'm sure you could think of a few. We need milk for strong bones. We need to eat meat for iron and protein. So many different things. But the one I wanted to bring up right now has to do with diverticulosis. So recently a friend told me that she had been diagnosed with diverticulosis and realized she needed to change her diet. And I was really glad to hear that. Actually, I have to clarify that because I'm talking about diverticulitis. So let's talk about the two. Um, diverticulosis is the outpouches caused by an American-style low-fiber, low-nutrient diet which causes pressure to the walls of the large intestine. Diverticulitis is when one of the diverticulum becomes infected, causing pain and necessitating, necessitating treatment. And this is where I want to talk about the old doctor's tales because so many people that I know who have been diagnosed with diverticulitis or diverticulosis have been told by their doctors that it's caused by eating seeds and nuts or that they should avoid eating seeds and nuts. And this is a myth and it has been disproven. You can even find on um, the Mayo Clinic site a post by Dr. Michael Pico saying that in the past many doctors recommended that people with diverticulosis avoid seeds and nuts including foods with small seeds such as tomatoes, cucumbers, and strawberries. It was thought that these tiny particles could lodge in the diverticula and cause inflammation, diverticulitis, but there is no scientific evidence that seeds and nuts cause diverticulitis flares. In fact, eating a high-fiber diet, which may include nuts and seeds, may reduce the risk of diverticular disease. And then they add, however, if you have diverticulitis and you believe that nuts and seeds trigger your attacks, avoid these foods. Just make sure you get enough fiber from other dietary sources. So, old doctor's tales. Nuts and seeds cause diverticulitis. This is a myth. The thing is, uh, when you're talking about nuts and seeds, if you think that those little pieces of the nuts and seeds are going to get stuck in the nooks and crannies of your body and cause inflammation, well, that's all the more reasons to soak your nuts, soak your seeds. When you soak them for four to eight hours or overnight, you're making them more digestible and you won't have that fear of 
the little seeds getting lodged in places because they will be soft and you can blend them, have them in a smoothie and get all of the lovely nutrition that they have to offer. But basically, this disease or the condition diverticulosis and the other more involved one, diverticulitis, they are both caused by low fiber American diet, period. And this is just one of many effects of a bad diet. I like to say that heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune diseases, cancer, most of them, not all of them, um, all the things that people are suffering today, these chronic illnesses, they are all the same disease. It's just our bodies fall apart in different ways, but they are caused for the most part by the sad standard American diet. So now's a good time at, at any time is a good time, but with the new year, it's a good time to incorporate healthy diets. And we are here at Responsible Eating and Living to offer you support, food for thought, and great, delicious recipes. So send me an email at info at realmeals.org. I'm here to answer any of your questions. I'll do as best as I can to find information for you that works. And uh, whether it's real or not, here's to a very happy new year. And remember, it's all up to you.